Section 9 of the Book of Ser Marco Polo, the Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Ser Marco Polo, the Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1, by Rusticello da Pisa, translated by Henry Yule. Introductory Notices, Part 9. Marco Polo's Book and the Language in Which It Was First Written. The book itself consists essentially of two parts, first of a prologue, as it is termed, the only part which is actual personal narrative, and which relates, in a very interesting but far too brief manner, the circumstances which led the two elder Polos to the Khan's court, and those of their second journey with Mark, and of their return to Persia through the Indian seas. Secondly, of a long series of chapters of very unequal length, descriptive of notable sights and products, of curious manners and remarkable events, relating to the different nations and states of Asia, but above all, to the Emperor Kublai, his court, wars, and administration. A series of chapters near the close treats in a verbose and monotonous manner of sundry wars that took place between the various branches of the house of Chinghis in the latter half of the thirteenth century. This last series is either omitted or greatly curtailed in all the copies and versions except one, a circumstance perfectly accounted for by the absence of interest as well as value in the bulk of these chapters. Indeed, desirous though I have been to give the traveller's work complete, and sharing the dislike that every man who uses books must bear to abridgments, I have felt that it would be sheer waste and dead weight to print these chapters in full. This second and main portion of the work is in its oldest forms undivided, the chapters running on consecutively to the end. In some very early Italian or Venetian version, which Friar Peppino translated into Latin, it was divided into three books, and this convenient division has generally been adhered to. We have adopted Monsieur Pothier's suggestion in making the final series of chapters, chiefly historical, into a fourth. As regards the language in which Marco's book was first committed to writing, we have seen that Ramusio assumed, somewhat arbitrarily, that it was Latin. Marsden supposed it to have been the Venetian dialect. Baldelli Boni first showed, in his elaborate edition, Florence, 1827, by arguments that have been illustrated and corroborated by learned men since, that it was French. That the work was originally written in some Italian dialect was a natural presumption, and slight contemporary evidence can be alleged in its favour. For Fra Peppino, in the Latin version of the work, executed whilst Marco still lived, describes his task as a translation de vulgari and in one manuscript copy of the same Friar Peppino's Chronicle, existing in the library at Modena, he refers to the said version as made ex vulgari idiomate lombardico. But though it may seem improbable that at so early a date a Latin version should have been made at second hand, I believe this to have been the case, and that some internal evidence also is traceable that Peppino translated not from the original, but from an Italian version of the original. The oldest manuscript, it is supposed, in any Italian dialect, 
is one in the Maglia Beccian Library at Florence, which is known in Italy as Lotima, on account of the purity of its Tuscan, and as Della Crusca from its being one of the authorities cited by that body in their vocabulary. It bears on its face the following note in Italian, quote, This book, called The Navigation of Messer Marco Polo, a noble citizen of Venice, was written in Florence by Michael Ormani, my great-grandfather by the mother's side, who died in the year of grace 1309, and my mother brought it to our family of Del Riccio, and it belongs to me, Pier Del Riccio, and to my brother, 1452." As far as I can learn, the age which this note implies is considered to be supported by the character of the manuscript itself. If it be accepted, the latter is a performance going back to within eleven years at most of the first dictation of the travels. At first sight, therefore, this would rather argue that the original had been written in pure Tuscan. But when Baldelli came to prepare it for the press, he found manifest indications of its being a translation from the French. Some of these he has noted, others have followed up the same line of comparison. We give some detailed examples in a note. The French text that we have been quoting, published by the Geographical Society of Paris in 1824, affords on the other hand the strongest corresponding proof that it is an original and not a translation. Rude as is the language of the manuscript, FR 1116, formerly number 7367 of Paris Library, it is, in the correctness of the proper names and the intelligible exhibition of the itineraries, much superior to any form of the work previously published. The language is very peculiar. We are obliged to call it French, but it is not French of Paris. Its style, says Pauline Paris, quote, is about as like that of good French authors of the age, as in our day the natural accent of a German, an Englishman, or an Italian, is like that of a citizen of Paris or Blois." The author is at war with all the practices of French grammar. Subject and object, numbers, moods, and tenses are in consummate confusion. Even readers of his own day must at times have been fain to guess his meaning. Italian words are constantly introduced, either quite in the crude or rudely gallicized. And words also, we may add, sometimes slip in which appear to be purely oriental, just as is apt to happen with Anglo-Indians in those days. All this is perfectly consistent with the supposition that we have in this manuscript a copy at least of the original words as written down by Rusticiano a Tuscan from the dictation of Marco, an orientalized Venetian, in French, a language foreign to both. But the character of the language, as French, is not its only peculiarity. There is in the style, apart from grammar or vocabulary, a rude angularity, a rough dramatism like that of oral narrative. There is a want of proportion in the style of different parts, now overcurt, now diffuse and wordy, with at times even a hammering reiteration, a constant recurrence of pet colloquial phrases, in which, however, other literary works of the age partake, a frequent change in the spelling of the same proper names, even when recurring within a few lines, as if caught by ear only, a literal following to and fro of the hesitations of the narrator, 
a more general use of the third person in speaking of the traveller, but an occasional lapse into the first. All these characteristics are strikingly indicative of the unrevised product of dictation, and many of them would necessarily disappear either in translation or in a revised copy. Of changes in representing the same proper name, take as an example that of the Khan of Persia, whom Polo calls Kaikatu, but also Akatu, Katu, and the like. As an example of the literal following of dictation, take the following. Quote, Let us leave Rosia, and I will tell you about the great sea, the Euxine, and what provinces and nations lie round about it, all in detail, and we will begin with Constantinople. First, however, I should tell you about a province, etc. There is nothing more worth mentioning, so I will speak of other subjects but there is one thing more to tell you about rosia that i had forgotten now then let us speak of the great sea as i was about to do to be sure many merchants and others have been here but still there are many again who know nothing about it so it will be well to include it in our book we will do so then and let us begin first with the strait of constantinople at the straits leading into the great sea on the west side there is a hill called the pharaoh but since beginning on this matter I have changed my mind, because so many people know all about it, so we will not put it in our description, but go on to something else. Quote. See Volume 2, page 487, sequential. And so on. As a specimen of tautology and hammering reiteration, the following can scarcely be surpassed. The traveller is speaking of the Kuki, i.e. the Indian Jogis. Quote, and there are among them certain devotees called Chughi. These are longer lived than the other people, for they live from one hundred fifty to two hundred years, and yet they are so hale of body that they can go and come wheresoever they please, and do all the service needed for their monastery or their idols, and do it just as well as if they were younger, and that comes of the great abstinence that they practice, in eating little food and only what is wholesome for they used to eat rice and milk more than anything else. And again I tell you that these Chughi, who live such a long time as I have told you, do also eat what I am going to tell you, and you will think it a great matter. For I tell you that they drink quicksilver and sulphur, and mix them together, and make a drink of them, and then they drink this, and they say that it adds to their life, and in fact they do live much longer for it and I tell you that they do this twice every month. And let me tell you that these people use this drink from their infancy in order to live longer, and without fail those who live so long as I have told you use this drink of sulphur and quicksilver." See Geographic Text, page 213. Such talk as this does not survive the solvent of translation, and we may be certain that we have here the nearest approach to the traveller's reminiscences as they were taken down from his lips in the prison of Genoa. Another circumstance, heretofore I believe unnoticed, is in itself enough to demonstrate the geographic text to be the source of all other versions of the work. It is this. In reviewing the various classes or types of texts of Polo's book, which we shall hereafter attempt to discriminate, there are certain proper names which we find in the different texts to take very different forms 
each class adhering to the main to one particular form. Thus the names of the Mongol ladies introduced at page 32 and 36 of this volume, which are in proper oriental form, Bulukhan and Kukachin, appear in the class of manuscripts which Pothier has followed, as Bulgara and Kogatra. In the manuscripts of Pepino's version, and those founded on it, including Ramusio, the names appear in the corrector forms Bulgana or Bulgana, and Kojasin. Now all the forms Bulgana, Bulgana, Bulgara, and Kogatra, Kochasin, appear in the geographic text. Kaikatu Khan appears in the Pauthier manuscript as Chiato, in the Papinian as Akatu, in the Rumusian as Chiacato. All three forms, Chiato, Achatu, and Chiacato, are found in the geographic text. The city of Kobanan appears in the Pothier manuscripts as Kobanant, in the Pepinian and Ramusian editions as Kobanam or Kobanan. Both forms are found in the geographic text. The city of the great Khan, Kanbalig, is called in the Pothier manuscripts Kambaluk, in the Pepinian and Ramusian, less correctly, Kambalu. Both forms appear in the geographic text. The aboriginal people on the Burmese frontier, who received from the western officers of the Mongols the Persian name, translated from that applied by the Chinese, of Zardendan, or gold teeth, appear in the Pothier manuscripts most accurately as Zardandan, but in the Pepinian as Ardandan, still further corrupted in some copies into Arcladam. Now both forms are found in the geographic text. Other examples might be given, but these I think may suffice to prove that this text was the common source of both classes. In considering the question of the French original too, we must remember what has been already said regarding Rusticien de Pisa and his other French writings, and we shall find hereafter an express testimony born in the next generation that Marco's book was composed in Vulgari Gallico but after all the circumstantial evidence that has been adduced from the texts themselves is the most conclusive we have then every reason to believe both that the work was written in french and that an existing french text is a close representation of it as originally committed to paper and that being so we may cite some circumstances to show that the use of french or quasi-french for the purpose was not a fact of a very unusual or surprising nature the french language had at that time almost as wide perhaps relatively a wider diffusion than it has now it was still spoken at the court of england and still used by many english writers of whom the authors or translators of the round table romances at henry the third's court are examples in twelve forty nine alexander the third king of scotland at his coronation spoke in latin and french and in 1291 the English Chancellor addressing the Scotch Parliament did so in French. At certain of the Oxford colleges, as late as 1328, it was in order that the students should converse colloquio latino vel saltum gallico. Late in the same century, Gower had not ceased to use French, composing many poems in it, though apologizing for his want of skill therein. At si je de François la Faconde, je suis en gloire, si qu'il partiale, voie estre excuse. 
indeed down to nearly thirteen eighty five boys in the english grammar schools were taught to construe their latin lessons into french st francis of assisi is said by some of his biographers to have had his original name changed to francesco because of his early mastery of that language as a qualification for commerce french had been the prevalent tongue of the crusaders and was that of the numerous frank courts which they established in the east including jerusalem and the states of the syrian coast cyprus constantinople during the reign of the courtenays and the principalities of the morea the catalan soldier and chronicler ramon de Mutaner tells us that it was commonly said of the morean chivalry that they spoke as good french as at paris quasi-french at least was still spoken half a century later by the numerous christians settled at aleppo as john marignoli testifies and if we may trust sir john mondeville the soldan of egypt himself and four of his chief lords spoke french right well ghazan khan the accomplished mongol sovereign of persia to whom our traveller conveyed a bride from cambaluk is said by the historian Rashidudin to have known something of the frank tongue, probably French. Nay, if we may trust the author of the romance of Richard Coeur de Leon, French was in his day the language of still higher spheres. Nor was Polo's case an exceptional one even among writers on the East who were not Frenchmen. Mondeville himself tells us that he put his book first, quote, out of Latin into French, and quote, and then out of French into English. The history of the East, which the Armenian prince and monk Hayton dictated to Nicolas Falcon at Poitiers in 1307, was taken down in French. There are many other instances of the employment of French by foreign, and especially by Italian authors of that age. The Latin chronicle of the Benedictine Amato of Monte Cassino was translated into French early in the thirteenth century by another monk of the same abbey, at the particular desire of the Count of Militre, or Malta, quote, pour ce qu'il s'est lire et attendre Françoise et Sendelite. Martino da Canale, a countryman and contemporary of Polo's, during the absence of the latter in the east, wrote a chronicle of Venice in the same language, as a reason for which he alleges its general popularity. The like does the most notable example of all, Brunetto Latini, Dante's master, who wrote in French his encyclopedic and once highly popular work, Le Tresor. Other examples might be given, but in fact such illustration is superfluous when we consider that Rusticiano himself was a compiler of French romances. But why the language of the book as we see it in the geographic text should be so much more rude, inaccurate, and Italianized than that of Rusticiano's other writings, is a question to which I can suggest no reply quite satisfactory to myself. Is it possible that we have in it a literal representation of Polo's own language in dictating the story, a rough draft which it was intended afterwards to reduce to better form, and which was so reduced, after a fashion, in French copies of another type, regarding which we shall have to speak presently. And if this be the true answer, why should Polo have used a French jargon in which to tell his story? Is it possible that his own mother Venetian, such as he had carried to the east with him, and brought back again, 
was so little intelligible to rusticiano that french of some kind was the handiest medium of communication between the two i have known an englishman and a hollander driven to converse in malay chinese christians of different provinces are said sometimes to take to english as the readiest means of intercommunication and the same is said even of irish-speaking irishmen from remote parts of the island it is worthy of remark how many notable narratives of the middle ages have been dictated instead of being written by their authors and that in cases where it is impossible to ascribe this to ignorance of writing the armenian hayton though evidently a well-read man possibly could not write in roman characters but joinville is an illustrious example and the narratives of four of the most famous medieval travellers seem to have been drawn from them by a kind of pressure and committed to paper by other hands i have elsewhere remarked this as indicating how little diffused was literary ambition or vanity but it would perhaps be more correct to ascribe it to that intense dislike which is still seen on the shores of the mediterranean to the use of pen and ink on certain of these shores at least there is scarcely any inconvenience that the majority of respectable and good-natured people will not tolerate inconvenience to their neighbours be it understood rather than put pen to paper for the purpose of preventing it End of section nine.